Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for listening in. Also, we are now part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network. You can either go on to boomhowdy.com, you can search um, Boom Howdy Pod on Twitter, or of course, at Horrorversary to find out where all the links to the latest shows. You can also search iTunes, Google Play, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, any of those and will pop up. If you do decide to go to either iTunes or Google Play, make sure to rate and review us. Helps out in the long run. At the same time, this podcast here is explained very simply. We are a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. Now, we don't get into the one, two, five years. We're looking at the bigger milestones. Tens, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, you name it. Because if you look back into film history, there's probably a point in horror that there's a celebration going on. As far as the eye can see, there's been horror. And for people who love horror... They love it to such a crazy extreme that even if it's a small, small, small film, they're still going to celebrate it. There's somebody out there who's listening to this episode right now who's really excited about the 30th anniversary of Cheerleader Camp. They're a special individual, but I I support them. And at some point we might get to that. But but that just shows that there are so many different levels when it comes to the love of horror and celebrating their anniversaries. Now. We've been on kind of an interesting tear recently with the last several films that, that we've been going into. Some of them are cerebral. Some of them have been ultra gory, but all of them have been extremely memorable. And tonight, tonight we hit one of the granddaddies. Now, what I love about the eights when you look at them is there's two film series that prominently play in having multiple movies that have anniversaries basically in the same time period for Halloween. Halloween currently has three movies that are celebrating anniversaries this year. The original Halloween, Halloween four and Halloween H2O. But depending upon how you look at things in the grand scheme, there's one series that's even bigger. And that of course is George Romero's dead series because of course, night of the living dead and Dawn of the Dead are just 10 years apart. Now, I know some of you might be out there arguing and say, wait, 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 Dawn of the Dead, wasn't that 79? Well, if you look literally everywhere when it comes to the copyright, it's 78. And in 1978, strangely enough, the first version of the movie to be released was the Argento cut in Italy. But... Since it says 78 everywhere, that's where we're going to, you know, start here. And of course, one of the interesting things when you're discussing Dawn of the Dead is the very beginning of the movie and how we start in the middle of everything. You can think of it as being just shortly after the end of Night of the Living Dead. And that's always interesting to me because. OK, I was getting carried away, you know, talking Romero, you get get the juices flowing, you get all amped up and everything. But but that's OK. Because my guest tonight is somebody who knows a lot about zombies, and, and we'll let her get into that. But she's written, just like everyone else who's on here, kind of everywhere on the internet. If you've been reading horror on the internet, you've probably seen something that she's done. 
And of course, recently she ended up taking over the role of the editor at large for Daily Grindhouse. So please give a warm horror-versary welcome to Dee Dee Crimmins. How's it going, Dee Dee? Oh, hey, Adrian. It's going great. That was quite a welcome. Thank you. You're, you're absolutely welcome. You, you deserve it, too. So. Oh, shucks. <laughs> that, that, that's the sterling conversation we're going to have here tonight, everybody. Get, <laughs> get, get ready. Now, as I said, you are somebody who's well-versed in zombies. We won't get into the debate right here, but you do have a background when it comes to zombies, correct? I do. If you can believe it, I have a, I, I always say I have a master's in zombies. I actually have a master's degree in film theory and I wrote my master's thesis on George Romero and his dead series. So when it comes down to it, I am fairly confident in saying that I'm an expert in them. See, that's, I, I think so. If there's somewhere somebody had to like grade a paper and decide if you're going to be decent enough to go out into the world based upon your writing and it concerns zombies, specifically Romero zombies, that's a feather in your cap. It is. It is. I've presented at academic conferences on zombies. I've also spoken on panels at world science fiction conventions about zombies. So when people think of the undead, some reason, sometimes people think about me. That's that. That's okay. Now, the reason we went for this one is because, of course, you said that you had discussed Night of the Living Dead recently. So Dawn of the Dead, it's a movie that seems like it's on the top of everybody's zombies list. But, like, maybe it's such a a foregone conclusion for people that it, it hasn't really been talked about a ton over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things that's just kind of a given. Like, everyone's seen it. It's not like this weird hidden gem, which horror fans love to, like, have that. Like, oh, have you seen pieces? Yeah, I've seen pieces. Yeah. Like, stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's it's almost like when people see after, you know, if you're a film fan now and you go back and you watch Citizen Kane, and yes, I am making this comparison, <laughs> like, it seems just like, oh, wait, what's the big deal? And it's just because everything you've seen for the past, you know, however many odd years in this one, specifically 40 years, has been ripping this off. So it doesn't feel fresh because everything in his homage to this has really kicked off. I mean, Night of the Living Dead kicked off, of course, the dead cycle for Romero. But this film really solidifies what the effects look like, how zombies walk, how they act. Because if you compare how zombies act in um, Dawn of the Dead to Night of the Living Dead, there's quite a big difference there. Yeah. And from Dawn of the Dead on, they all act like this unless someone's trying to make a big stand or make a stink about something. But, but, so this is really the pillar on which modern zombies sit, even though it's the second of Romero's films. Exactly. And, and like that's what I find so interesting that Night Night of the Living Dead has re-entered like, the conversation, um, even mm-hmm. even a little bit before Romero's unfortunate passing. It, it was you know starting to be up on the rise. So that's what's interesting, that all of a sudden that one's kind of gaining prominence again and people are like well we can only have one of these two to talk about and it's like well first first of all there's like six of them that <laughs> that you can talk about but it, it's it's those two that it's like well we can only talk about one of these to put up on the pedestal yeah and i think a lot of that has to do with distribution like i mean i've seen a living dead in 35 millimeter once a year for probably the past five years. I mean, beyond the fact that it doesn't have copyright, it's always being restored, it's always out there. Dawn of the Dead, the distribution rights theatrically are still held on by Richard Rubenstein, who is the producer. And he is a delightful, but very idiosyncratic guy. He has very specific interests. And so he controls this wholly onto himself. So that's why when you think about it, like I've seen 
Argento's cut of Dawn of the Dead theatrically, I haven't seen Romero's, and that's me speaking. So it's just it's a rarity to get out there. But it's interesting, and that's that's why I wanted to to have you talk about it when you said you're willing to do either one. So of course we have to ask the very simple question that we start out with, but it's always fun to get these stories. Is do you remember when you first saw Dawn of the Dead? Oh, I actually believe that the first time I saw it was when, and someone's going to kill me over this, is Zack Snyder's was coming out. Okay. And I wanted to see the original because I hadn't yet. Like, I knew it took place in a mall. I had seen Night of the Living Dead at something. I'm sure it was, like, a midnight movie thing on TV with, like, some monster host. But I hadn't seen Dawn of the Dead, so I sought it out. And that was at the same time right around Zack Snyder's when DVDs were really coming about. So it was easy to see things because you didn't have to find the old, like weird version at your video store anymore like you could order it off amazon and that was a burgeoning market for it so i'm pretty sure i watched it like at a friend's house i don't have a very strong memory of it but it wasn't back in the day well no i mean i i think that was probably the case for for a lot of people not necessarily just because of the uh the snyder film but that was also uh the the snyder movies 2004 i want to say yep yeah and the the famous, very famous Anchor Bay Ultimate Collection um, came out in 2004 as well. Okay, yeah. So, so I think for a lot of people, um, that that may have been like the first opportunity to kind of see it because with that release, that's when they had the theatrical version, uh, the un or unrated, I guess you want to call it, director's cut, and the Ar- Argento cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. And this was also like, I'm like, I'm one of those people that if I hear anything interesting about a movie coming out, but it's based on a book, if I know I have like a month to read the book, I'll go do that. So if I know that it's going to be a remake and I've never seen the original, like I'll try and see the original before it comes out. So that would make sense if that's like that. But no, I don't have a very like, and then I saw this film and it changed my life. I don't have that. (laughs) Well, but I mean, it was, it was, it it was memorable in a way. Would you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I remember watching it because it's one of those things, like, especially as a horror fan, like, you know, like, they spend a lot of time in a mall, and that's kind of all what people talk about, and they, they do spend a lot of time in a mall, but there's so much leading up to it, and there's so much social context right before they get to the mall that it's yeah. strange that kind of everyone, goes, to a certain extent, forgets about it. Like, I get it, but that's just when I think about Dawn of the Dead, I think about, like, the SWAT team killing people in their apartment building and things <laughs> like that. Well, it, it, it's, it's always the the action packed and, and bigger scenes that, that people become attached to. And I think that's what, what makes um, Romero's films, especially the first two stands sound so much in contrast is that there's a lot more talking in these two films than like 25 other zombie films put together. Yeah, well, I mean, especially if you compare it to certain other films where a lot of the characters were isolated and there isn't a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Like, they're just talking throughout this whole thing, so. And, yeah, and, they're having a great And it's also got that survival aspect that I love. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, I was actually, as I was rewatching it for this, there's the whole, like, survival, like, we're going to make it, we're going to somehow get past this, which is just not the case. Yeah. Um, as we all know, because, you know, come on. <laughs> Um, but there's also the, like watching this with a fresh eye now in deep into the consumer culture that they were making fun of that is now our reality. Mm-hmm. 
like it's just I don't know the whole like survival thing it's like well you know of course you go to a mall that makes sense like I'd go to supermarket sweep if I could like it's just like it's just this weird thing where you're watching we grew up with stuff on the tv that resembles the stuff that is supposed to be satire in this but it's real yeah and and how much time they they spend on it and it goes from being the satire to to him saying okay if you are going to try to survive in in a zombie apocalypse what's what's that going to be like what's a you know, how are you going to spend that time? The The fact mm-hmm. that they have the entire sequence where they're cleaning up the dead zombies. Yeah. Yeah. They're cleaning it all up. And then it's like, once they're there, it's like, well, what now? Like, let's go ice skating. Like, what else are you going to do? Um, What do you think accounts for the longevity? Oh, like the staying power of the yes. film? Yes. Um, I think the fact that all of the stuff that it's making fun of our society for doing, we're still doing helps. Um, I think that the fact that the effects are the kind of schlocky goodness that we celebrate for being bad helps. Like, <laughs> honestly, like, like, let's say for like argument's sake, if they were actually really believable zombies and they weren't like painted up to be green and the blood didn't look like, you know, <laughs> I don't think we, people would be celebrating it as much. But I do think that there are certain aspects of it, like, there's the, I was just rewatching it again. I'm always struck by how much the scene there's that one, the scene where Roger finally dies and comes back. Yes. And the fact that the dialogue over it is super, is superimposed with the dialogue from that guy just going absolutely insane <laughs> on this TV show, just going crazy. Like that's still a really haunting scene. And as much as it's like fun to make easy to make fun of how schlocky it is and easy to make fun of like, yep, there's like a, I don't know, like a Harry Krishna zombie. That scene emotionally really rings true because Roger is just so scared of being turned into one of them. Like that, that like, I think that if it didn't have those scenes, it would just be easy to dismiss this as like, oh, another attack at the Killer Tomatoes, which was also seventy eight, but it's not. Yeah, and and what I really appreciated from watching it this time, especially when it comes to Rogers, the the way he he goes about like the transforming, what leads to him getting bit. In any other movie, somebody's like, ah, oh, you were being stupid. You deserved it. But because of the time that, that you spent with him and the fact that you know that he's not a stupid person and that the, the situation's getting him or getting the better of him. And so that's why he's acting a little bit off and, and that he's, you know, not really paying attention. And he's in that hyper state that you feel bad. But if it was any other movie and you spent just a, like a little bit of time with him the way he's acting, you're like, Oh, that guy's stupid. I'm glad he's going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And also it gives a little bit more weight at the end to when you have, cause I mean, if for a certain extent, like yeah, they're protecting themselves within the mall because yeah. they don't want to be bit and die, but also like there's a little bit of respect to the lives outside. Like, it's just like, we don't want to just spend all of our day doing target practice and taking these people out. It's exhausting. And there's just a little bit of acknowledgement of the fact that these were people at some point. Yeah. And that means that when the motorcycle gang shows up at the end, they're letting all these people in. And we have just very recently seen Roger die and know that, again, like you were saying, like, it, it, this isn't a punishment that feels good. This It feels awful and everything has gone to shit in this world. Like, you see just the motorcycle gang show up and act, act just a lot like our the same group acted, like, when they first showed up at the mall. Yeah. But just how much disrespect they have for first of all the world that they've created within the mall but also just like you know this like target practice isn't fun there's no joy in that anymore no now for you i i mean this movie's full of them so i apologize for making you choose but is oh. there a signature or standout scene that that you absolutely love from this film 
That is a tough question. I do love Roger's death scene just because I love the juxtaposition of the um, TV audio over the actual really sad death. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I really like about this film, and I think the more times you rewatch it, the more it really hammers home, is how often motifs are repeated. So yeah. it's not necessarily that I like, like, I don't really care if they're robbing the bank at the beginning or the beginning ones, they get them all kind of stupid. But then the fact that you then also see the motorcycle gang guys, did they take a zombie's wallet? Like, are you kidding me guys? Really? Like that's so stupid and it's really dangerous. And then just like moments later, you see these zombies walking all over um, a bunch of like dollar bills that are like kind of on the ground in the mall. Mm-hmm. So I like, it's not necessarily even just one scene, but I like that Romero has these things and he's kind of hammering home a little bit heavy handed, but it's also a specific way that he just kind of returns to like, okay, these people suck. Wait, everybody sucks. Like there's no difference between any of these groups. And he definitely gets there for land of the dead, like way more, but I think he's definitely hinting at it as they starting out here. So I guess it's not a scene. So I'm not answering your question at all, but (laughs) But I mean, I mean, in a way, it is because I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it's a couple. If you have a couple that stand out in your mind, we're, we're talking about a movie that, in its preferred version, is over two hours long. Mm-hmm. And that so having multiple scenes that stand out and and really are ingrained in your brain is is a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like that. And there's also the scene. Um... Oh, there's the scene where they're like, oh, the I'm a man scene where they have all the like Billy shooting all the things like, come on, George, like that is the least subtle thing that he's done. And that says a lot. But I do appreciate the fact that he in, somehow includes a little bit of dissection of masculinity very early in, in the film. Yeah. And that's I think it's all those uh, asides that that make it a staple of of Romero. Anyone else can have zombies and can have them easily killed. But Romero wants to to play with what's going on at, at the larger world. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, like, all the research I did for my paper is, like, I he's, like, one of um, Newton's laws because for every interview there's an exact equal and opposite interview. Like, he contradicts <laughs> himself constantly. So uh, he, uh, he has interviews where he's written pieces or um, spoken to people and saying, like, oh, I didn't really have any – race has nothing to do with my film, so it's just to the best actor was. And it's like, well, first of all, it's bullshit. And second of all, like you go and you read other interviews with him and he talks about like how important it was to have Ben be a black actor and how important it was for Peter to be a black actor in Dawn of the Dead. So it's like, he, he knows what he's doing. It's just how much he wants to admit that he's actually post- pushing a social agenda depends on apparently which day he woke up. I don't know. Yeah, no, I can see that. And it was like, it was something that for some reason I didn't really pay attention to it. Maybe this time wanting to watch it, you know, to, for conversational purposes, that the very first kill that happens on screen isn't a zombie, of course. It's it's a human, but it's still a headshot. Yeah. And, it, it, like, this time I was like, that's a very interesting, deliberate choice. I mean, you could kill this guy any number of ways. He could be shot in the throat, but you're shooting him directly in the middle of the head in a film in which you, you have people becoming zombies and they have to be shot in the head, that it... It was really striking, and it, it, it was one of those where one of the first times where it's like, I wonder how much thought he put, you know, into that decision. Yeah, yeah, and it's just that you're talking about a SWAT team at on the roof of the apartment building at the very beginning in Philly. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, stuff like that where it's just, 
it really calls into question how much of a difference there is actually between the zombies and the humans. And at the same time, I then want to ask George about the guy who's in brown face. Oh, George. That's yeah. the, one of those moments that doesn't really work as well in high definition. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's why I have a crappy TV. No, that's not why I have a TV, but that's why I'm grateful to have a crappy TV. <laughs> now, the most interesting thing, and I think it's one of the biggest points to jump into when talking about Dawn of the Dead, and in 2018, it's a very interesting time to, to do so, but the question that we always ask is, is there a modern counterpart for this movie? And how do you think it it compares or it falters? Now, that's a little difficult to do when it comes to Dawn of the Dead because of the fact that it's, you know, one of the, the big originators when it came to the way most people made and structured and thought of zombies. So I, I guess kind of in a larger sense, Looking at the film landscape of, let, let's say, the last couple of years, so, you know, 2018, 2017, and 16, when it comes to movies, zombie movies nowadays, what what's really changed? And are there elements that are better, or is it one of those that they've, they've just kind of tapered off in general? Interesting, because, I mean, we had, we're post-zombie peak, it definitely feels like there was that craze where it was like pride and prejudice and zombies not the movie the book because the movie sucked and it came way too late but like there was definitely peak zombie a few years ago and now i feel like it's petered off a little bit huh that's an interesting question because i think in terms of like if this were 1978 no one would have any idea that dawn of the dead would turn out to be dawn of the dead and that all of these entire genre of or subgenre of monster movies would follow so hmm let me see. I think that one of the trends right now in zombie films is they ha- we're big on creatures that are they're infected. They're not zombies. They're not dead. Um, but I think that there are some films that are a little quieter and they'll take a lot of time to really examine society and how it would be structured were there to actually be a zombie outbreak. Like I don't think a little bit in Land of the Dead, but I don't think Romero ever really gets into like psychologically how do people move on knowing that they will come back once they die and how do they move on from having lost their whole family like i don't think ramiro never really gets into that and i think a lot of modern films do um oh i'm trying to think of what was the this was at fantastic fest was it last year yeah yeah it was lay on femme yeah um, it, yeah called now it's got a different- uh, ravenous ravenous yeah so i think like that was a film i don't think it's a, at all at the quality or lasting power of dawn of the dead but that was a film i thought that really tried to leave a little bit of a stamp on the zo- modern zombie narrative mm-hmm. the, the fact that those zombies screamed just really got to me that was like, th- that in the chair stacking creeped me out right like that was great. And then you look at that and you look at life after Beth and life after Beth, which I wrote a positive review of and still regret daily um, because I saw it at a festival and Audrey Plaza, Aubrey Plaza was there and she's so fucking charming. And so it was just like, so great to see that. But then the film in my mind just kind of falls apart and it falls apart because they were trying to shove all these cutesy little things about like zombies love smooth jazz and they love hanging out in attics. And it's just things that had nothing to do with anything. 
just to like take the zombie narrative and just like heap some other weirdness on top of it to set itself apart from like so, I don't want to say yeah so kind of in a way like Fido Fido works for me though Fido works yeah. because I like yeah 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 it's it's examining actually yeah Fido's a really good example now that you bring it up because it's examining how society actually will function mm -hmm. and I think that things like that are important so like The Cured that was at Fantastic Fest last year too with Ellen Page again not a zombie movie it's an infected movie but they act like zombies so I think for a certain extent we can talk about them in the same bundle but that actually looked at like how would this class of people who had been zombified or at least infected and then turned back, how would we treat them as a society? And it really looked at the pain that's involved with that. So I like those films a lot. Now, see, this is an interesting thing. It's been a discussion on, on different parts of the internet. It's something that's been going on for, for years. And since I've known <laughs> Didi, it's been a conversation that's happened with a group of friends that, that we oh. share. Uh, what she keeps on saying and making sure to say is, is the the dividing point that you have with people, which, of course, occurs with it happens before this movie. But the divide really comes down to 28 days later with the rage infected persons as as probably people on DD side would, would prefer them to to be. I, I fall in the middle of this discussion. So that's that's the reason why I'm saying it. But there's the two camps. That, that, just that... pick a side, dude. What? Pick a side. How dare you? No, come on. No, because no, it's one of those that that I think there's points for both sides, and I think that they can be called uh, still the same thing as long as you you put like just one word in front of the secondary group. Um, mm -hmm. But but you have people who say that that zombies are uh, canonically the the undead. They have to die and visibly come back to life to be deemed a zombie. Anything yes. that does not follow that tenet means that they are infected. Is Correct. That, is the term that people use. Here's the interesting thing that I noticed at play uh, in Dawn of the Dead this time that I watched it. I haven't seen this movie in about six or seven years. Uh, that's bad on me. Um I always plan on watching it and I'll get to like the, usually the other Romero films in uh, October, but I, I haven't watched it in several years. And when I was watching it this time, the big thing that I noticed is that they, they do refer to it as an infection at different times during the film. And while he does visibly die and come back, the, they know that, Roger's going to become one of the people, but they're still referring to it as an infection that's taking over him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see. I mean, clearly it behaves like a biological warfare agent. So I think that saying it's an infection, like clearly that's how it's traveling and dispersing throughout a society. So I don't really see that as an affront to referring to the people are the infected from 28 days later as, as infected in quotes. Um, but, I mean, I think it's just like watching the purge, the first purge film that just came out. Like, they refer to it as like the experiment, but it's still the purge. Yeah. But um, they just need to have the language catch up to what's happening here. If you if you, uh, say, if you say infected zombies, does that make it okay? Like if if you're referring uh, to the 28 days later group and the ones that kind of follow that that tenet of like when you get bitten, 
you can turn at any point and you don't necessarily have to visibly die on screen that you're an infected zombie as opposed to like a truer zombie. No, no, no. The infected is a thing. It's a word. It describes a very specific thing within horror films that they have their own word. They don't need to share a word like zombie refers to undead infected refers to if we want to have these like rage filled or whatever filled just somehow dispersing something, but they're not dead. Then they're not, if they're not dead, they're not zombies when it comes down to it. There's something recently that came up and I think our last online debate as opposed to like our other 27 online debates we've had about this topic. Um, someone phrased it this way and it really was very good. And I forget exactly who said this, but someone said like structurally the like 28 days later structurally is a zombie film, yeah. but it's, it's a zombie film without zombies and saying that made it so much clearer to me and helped me kind of structure other debates I've had in person. So it's like, you can have, it's like, I don't know. It's like certain films you watch and you're like, this is just like a horror film, but it's a romance. Maybe it's because I don't like romance films, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like you can have a film that's structured like a zombie film, like 28 days later is, but it doesn't mean that the monsters in there are zombies. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's what I was going to say. It's a, it's a zombie movie, but it's a zombie movie that doesn't uh, f- feature traditional zombies or zombies at all. Cause they're not dead. I know. I know. I'm just saying that, that, yeah. that see, this is what I'm saying. I, I'm trying to say that they can, that there can be b- both sides just because it, it seems like each side gets rather mad at the other side is, is well, all I'm right. okay. Okay. <laughs> I will, t- I will take, we will step outside at the bar. No, <laughs> no, but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, there are already words to describe this. It's like when people talk about, I got really angry at a brunch recently. It's not, baked french toast it's bread pudding there's already a word for it just use it <laughs> now that see i i can i can easily get on on that side with you for that one okay um, but yeah like there's already a way to describe this this has already been settled people who like bringing it up because it's really fun to get nerds in a tizzy myself yeah. included it's like i get it but it's like we've already settled this nothing has been introduced cinematically to ever straddle both worlds like dead and undead like it's really a pretty clear divide yeah. it's just people sometimes aren't good at language I, I just found it interesting watching it this time the fact that that Romero calls that out but at the same time he does several things with, with this movie that there's little pieces that in the 10 years between night and dawn that you can tell that not only has he been thinking about zombie movies but he's been watching like other zombie movies that are coming out and other zombie movies for the past because he makes sure in the cellar scene that there's the priest um, who, I'm sorry, it's uh, Ken Forey is the one who says it, uh, but he mentions uh, the when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. But as opposed to attributing it to the Bible, as has been done in the past, he mentions that his father was a uh, a voodoo priest in Trinidad mm-hmm. and told him to that, thereby bringing in the, the, the voodoo version of zombies into it. So he has his idea of the undead zombies. He's bringing in uh, referencing the fact that voodoo zombies do exist while also mentioning that, um, that there, there's the the added level of an infection to things. 
Yeah, yeah. And definitely like he's quite aware of that. And that is actually that's when they're they just cleaned out the whole mall. Yeah. And they're kind of over on the balcony looking down upon the whole mall. And that's actually the exact same speech where he says also like they're like, why are they here? And he's like, they're just us. So yeah. that really is yeah. hammering home the whole like this isn't an otherworldly thing. This is something of humanity specifically and it's just a different version of humanity and it's awful but so is humanity and and like that's the interesting thing that i love about romero is is that awareness that he has not not just of the fact that he's making movies but the landscape that he's making a film in because you did have some other you know zombie movies of a different caliber that were coming out and around at the time lots of them being cheapies and stuff but he he had a sense of where filmmaking was at at that time and when it came to storytelling and stuff and then where it was possibly going. And he always kind of rides that that wave of tapping into where things are at and where it's possibly going with with each of the zombie films as he makes them over the decades. Yeah, which, I mean, to varying degrees of success. I mean, I bring up Land of the Dead frequently because I do think it's an amazing film and I think it's overlooked. But then you go to Diary and it's like, oh, my God, dude, what happened? <laughs> it's 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 that point where you, you get to, and I, I don't mean any offense to any filmmaker because there are so many filmmakers that as they get older, they're actually getting better. But there's a certain point where, and I think it happens in lots of filmmakers' career, that they want to make a movie that where they either try to um, to speak to like a younger audience that's like a lot younger to them and like try to either make the type of movie that they'd want to watch or try to find a way to speak to them or use technology that's more prevalent at the time that's out of their wheelhouse where it doesn't really work. But they're like, well, I'm trying to do this to stay relevant. And then after the movie's made, everybody goes, but you've never done anything to do that. And then they're like, oh, OK, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And like the whole like Diary of the Dead thing, like the fact that it's MySpace based and the fact that it like has this big argument in the very beginning about slow versus fast zombies. It's like this is Romero having an axe to grind and being like, hello, fellow young people. Like it's not it's not inspired. It's not it doesn't feel like a fresh voice. It's just kind of like him being like, I can only get funding for zombie movies. So I guess what I'm making. Exactly. And and, and I mean, that's the I guess that's the downside to. Uh, to horror is that you have filmmakers who, who do kind of um, get stuck in that rut in a way. And the only decisions that they have is to like, keep on making the same thing or make a film that's going to be kind of seen as a, a gamble and be like, well, this is my opportunity. If I fail by doing this one thing, that's a little bit different. Well, then I have to go back to the only thing I know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being typecast except for the one doing everything. Exactly. But I mean, it, I guess in a way, as as bad as that movie is, at least it's in, in a field that he'd been working in and for years. And so he was trying to, you know, elevate things in a way. And while it doesn't it doesn't work, um, yeah. at, at least he's working in a field that he's familiar with. You know, I mean, it, it, I feel bad saying this, but it's the prime example that I always use because it's the one where you're like, yeah clearly and it's at least he's not john carpenter making memoirs of an invisible man oh man <laughs> i just i got sent the screen factory version of that because they put out all those carpenter ones exactly because it's a carpenter but at the same time it was one of those that 
all of Carpenter's movies kind of fit within a certain vein. And then there's that film. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Romero has, there's always vanilla. Like, he's he tried to branch out. It just didn't go that well. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, th- that. I think that's why he, Diary ends up the way it is, is because he was like, I know I can get funding for it. Why don't I try something different at the same time? And, oops, nope, nope. <laughs> Oh, well, and then, yeah, I'm like, in survival, we can just pretend doesn't exist, because that would be <laughs> you, you don't like zombies and horses? Duh. No, I don't like zombies. The one one redeeming factor of that film is the um, part on the ferry where you realize that the entire water is filled, or the water, body of water they're passing through is filled with zombies just, like, just below the surface with all their heads. I thought that was really cool. That, but that, we already that's saw- Romero. That's Romero. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That was the one one scene that was okay yeah. um also as an irish person very offensive <laughs> the whole thing um but we already saw zombies in the water and land of the dead like he was just kind of like let's put more zombies in water i don't know uninspired so we've got into the discussion of infected and non-infected but the other thing that kind of becomes a contentious point that's a very much a romero thing that that people like to put at the feet of land of the dead, but is full on display in dawn of the dead is the level of either. If you want to say intelligence or awareness that the zombies have here, how, how, mm-hmm. do, you, how do you feel about that? The portrayal either here or elsewhere. Do you like that element to it? Or do you like it? If there's zombies that they just be mindless. I have a lot of thoughts on this. So, Initially, if you watch, not that Romero had any grand plan whatsoever. It's kind of like Star Wars, like Luke and Leia should not have been kissing in the first film. Lucas had no plan there. But if we were to make some sort of assumption that there was a plan there, the very first zombie we see in the entire Romero saga is the guy who runs up to Barbara in the car when when Johnny's just been taken. He moves quickly. He uses a rock to smash the window. He is an intelligent zombie, assuming that he's a zombie, which I believe he is because we see him later. Romero... Didn't always say they were mindless. I think that we have come into the fact that they're kind of mindless, but I also think that there are certain ones that maintain some level of intelligence. Are You see in Dawn of the Dead, there's one that uses tire irons. So they do use, you know, some form of tools, kind of like crows would. Yeah. And then, so if you look at Romero's saga, there's always been some of those around. My theory about the way that we evolve our way towards Big Daddy in Land of the Dead is that all the dumb ones get killed. So I don't, <laughs> no, seriously. So I don't think we're necessarily evolving. I think we're just weeding out the bad, the, the dumb ones. Well, so when you're, when you're left with it, like when you get to Bub in Day of the Dead, which yeah. we haven't talked about, like Bub can talk. He uses his memories. He can drive a car. Like, all, like they talk about him driving a car theoretically, but I'm sure he could. But like he can salute an officer. So there are intelligent zombies all along the way. Yeah. But by the time we get to land, I feel as though the ones that are super dumb wouldn't have made it that long. Because that one's, what, more than five years. Because day is five years after the initial outbreak. Yeah. Dawn is three weeks after. So by the time we're to land, I think that if you were a zombie that had made it past, been infected in the initial outbreak, made it all the way to when land exists, you've got to be a kind of a smart zombie. I, I want to say that either... Hopper or Leguizamo makes reference to how long it's been. I don't remember what the years are, but I'm pretty sure that one of them does. Yeah, yeah. I do, now that you mentioned that, I think they do. And I do appreciate the fact that, again, like 
Romero always, you know, Dawn is three weeks after um, Night of the Living Dead, mm. but it's always contemporary. So he's not setting things in the past. This is not like, you know, three weeks after an outbreak in 1968. Even yeah. Land clearly goes to contemporary times. And I like that he has that. He just kind of advances the story a little, like within the context of that. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's smart. And I think it helps it stay fresh. And, and that's what's great about Dawn compared to so many other ones, because plenty of the other films are like, oh, well, we got to show the fall. We, we have to make reference to it. If if we don't at the very beginning, then we have to have an extended, um, like, you know, flashback to explain mm-hmm. the fall so that you can respect these people as what they were before. And Don's like, no, just screw it. We're, we're opening on a news station that's in the middle of things already being shit. And th- this is just the world that you live in now. Yeah, yeah. Now that you're mentioning that, I, th- I spend a lot of time thinking about and sometimes writing about like how much a dire- how much a director has faith in their audience. Mm-hmm. And I hate because a lot of shitty horror films just think their audience <laughs> are idiots and they overexplain things and they ta- they like spoon feed you things and they show you something three times. It's like I don't know in signs where it's like, oh, we're going to talk about that glass of water again. Like I, there's something to be said in the fact that Romero does feel as though it's okay to use this shorthand because he respects the audience and he knows yeah. that this isn't. Surgery. It's just okay. The dead come back. Fine. Like we don't need to keep talking about this. Just have it start. And see, that's that we're going to be when this episode comes out. It will be several weeks since this movie came out, so we'll know if it's bombed or or not once the episode drops. I think this episode will probably be coming out around Fantastic Fest, so we'll we'll be able to to joke in person about what's happened. Um, but that point is hit home in the wrong way in uh the movie the meg at least to me at least to me i don't know if you saw it i missed the press screening for it and i've had a bunch of people asking me about it and i'm I'm, i might catch it tomorrow afternoon so by the time we get to fantastic fest i might be able to commiserate with you in person but i have not seen it yet the issue that i have with the movie is it has a, a prologue to to set up you know a trauma with jason statham and then it it shows you know the new facility and has people that are on an expedition and they get into trouble and Jason Statham has to to come save them. And and then, of course, you know, the they, they've got the shark. But by the whole time, the second rescue has finished the movies about 51, 52 minutes into the film. Bad. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. So we had two rescue situations that basically set up the exact same thing and we could have just referenced the first one and had this be like 15 minutes long, but instead we we've gone over halfway through the movie just for this setup uh. that, that we don't need. And like, to me, like that's how lots of those, those movies are. Of course you look back to the perf in my eyes, the perfect template of like the eighties horror film that said, we're going to have a movie that's between an hour and 20 and an hour and 30 minutes. The first 45 minutes are going to be all about setting up characters, having a couple kills. But once we get to the halfway point is when everything's going to be just full steam ahead. And like, you know, that's how the setup is going to be. And so you can understand that in your mind, but with lots of these zombie movies where they're like, well, we have to spend a whole bunch of times before everything gets crappy, and then we're going to have to do it. It's like, well, you're making a zombie movie, so your focus should be 
the zombies existing and what happens to the world because the zombies are in it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like I, I really respect Pacific Rim for that because they just say like they have a brief prologue and they're like, hey, there's Kaiju and we fight him with robots. Let's go. Yeah. Like, and it's just it doesn't hammer home. It just really jumps into like I consistently become frustrated with films that don't know why we're there. <laughs> like if I'm seeing a Godzilla film and we follow the humans as they're carrying some sort of bomb and there's a Kaiju fighting goddamn Godzilla in the background, I don't care about the humans. Like I'm not here to watch humans care about a bomb. I'm here to watch Godzilla fight a freaking kaiju. Like, so films that you know aren't aware of why we're there, unaware of the fact that, that what their strengths are, are consistently frustrating. Yeah. But just to bring it back to Dawn a little bit, like I think it does do a good balance of the like whole. There's action. There's people dying. There's a lot of bodies. But there's also the social commentary, which is what we're there for too, as well. But yeah, and, and I mean they 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 strip it back and are just like, okay, this is the world this is how things are going everything that you're going to learn you're going to learn as it goes on we're not going to have anybody talking about you know their backstory for a long period of time because it's about Mm -hmm. it's about who they've had to become or are going to become because of the change in in the situation Mm -hmm. oh i was going to say in terms of like what they're going to become like we even talked about the ending and how like nihilistic it is but it pretends to be hopeful yeah that was well I, that was going to be the next question that i was going to okay i'm like ask your question we'll get to it then. Well, no 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 i mean you're you've, you've already hit upon it and it's it, the the question was just going to be there's there's so many zombie movies that that are like okay this is this is how we have to play the ending we have to play it one way or the other we have to be play it complete despair or this person's saved the other person and and then that's it we're not looking at anything any larger and yet Romero has like several different crazy layers that, that he's working with in, in the end in the slight lead up to the end I mean even when when Steven comes back to the room is is a moment that you don't normally get but it's beautiful because of course he's he's been setting it up with the fact that zombies are, are trying to go back to to the way of life and as they knew it and of course because his life had become the mall that's He's he's the one who, you know, forces them out. Yeah, exactly. Like they keep saying over and over again, like they're just us. They're just here because they're used to it. This place meant something to them. Like, of course, that's where he's going to go back. Like he's told us he's going to go back there. Um, But yeah, just um, Fran and Peter are taking off in the helicopter, which Mm -hmm. we know doesn't have fuel. Yes. Like like this, like temporary reestablishment of the nuclear family with, you know, the man, the woman and the child, you know, the potential child. But the fact that it's not going to go well. And even then you escape. And then what? What? What sort of life are you bringing this child into? Like, it's not great. Where are you? Are you getting to? Do you know of a nearby place that has fuel? Are you going to get stranded wherever the raiders have scattered off to? Yeah. Like in the beginning, this one guy's like, oh, do you think you can make it to an island? And they're like, well, which island? He's like, any Any island. (laughs) There's no plan here whatsoever. And of course, in the remake of the film they get even even darker because they are able to get away on the ship and they they make it to an island but oh there's there's zombies here too oh yeah and it's got that great like richard cheese song over the credits like right afterwards right like oh man that as much people complain about Zack snyder like they're allowed to and i'm not going to totally disagree with all the stuff people say about that film but come on but you're also working for you're also working from a script from james gunn at that time 
Yeah, I don't I don't think it's awful. I don't I don't totally hate on the remake. I think when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is great. And I think most people had that reaction. I think people just in retrospect, which we're allowed to change our minds about films as time goes on. I, I don't think that's an invalid way to approach it. But I'm just saying like it was fun. Yeah, I mean, that that was my next thing is I was going to ask how you felt the remake uh, compares because, of course, it's it's an entirely different beast. And, of course, both Gunn and Snyder are about as far removed from from Romero as you can get. But I was going to ask I I was going to ask how you how you felt about it in comparison to the original. That being said, like you're saying, it's far removed. Richard Rubenstein also produced it. So the same producer from both (laughs) it's for both Dawn's the Dead, which I think people love to forget. But that just means that he had money to throw around. I'm like having interviewed Richard recently. He loves to talk about that. So that's something there. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's fun. Like, I'm not going to be someone who's really, you know, taking a big dump on fast zombies. Like, clearly, they don't make any sense. But zombies are made up to begin with. So I'm not really going to get into some sort of major argument about that, especially considering I think the film is entertaining enough. Um, the baby zombie, was that necessary? No. Was any of this necessary? No. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't hate on it as much as a lot of people do. But I also, if it comes down to... I'm going to watch a Dawn of the Dead, which am I, what am I watching? It's going to be the Romero. I don't think anybody would argue there. Um, I, I, I just think that there's, there's a desire for people to be um, dismissive just in, in general. And I do think that there's a certain level that the remake deserves it. But at the same time, it, it, it tries to both uh, show homage to the original while, fitting into that that space that was changing at that time because of course you know the remake comes out around the time of 28 days later so you have that that shifting uh paradigm with how people view whatever you want to call uh different versions of zombies but but from like the cinematic standpoint of of a general audience and, and what they're viewing if there's a fad in filmmaking at that time, people will snatch on to that because they know that they can get the average film uh, goer to go into it. And since they're the person who's going to help them make the money in the long run, that's who they have to try to appease. Exactly. And yeah, and you're talking about like recontextualizing it. Like there wasn't zombie saturation when that came out. No. Like when that came out, that, like again, like that's probably what spurred me to see the original like that wasn't at a time where there was zombies in everything we possibly could see. And there wasn't walking dead and no one knew Greg Dancatera was let alone Tom. Like not that they didn't know who they were, but like you say those names or show the pictures of those people to people who aren't in the horror community. They don't know who they are and they would absolutely would not have known who they are back then. Yeah. Well, because you only really had two at at that time was you had, of course, 28 days later and you had Shaun of the dead. Yeah. Yeah, and even then, Shaun of the Dead was a little bit of a sleeper hit because a lot of the references it made weren't really that popular anymore. Yeah, and they and they were based on Romero to begin with, and that was kind of the the thing is that like those couple films helped revitalize interest, and like of course, it's just a couple of years later that you get Land of the Dead because here we are that there's a time that that people are like, hey, Romero, you you want some money? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, like, to recontextualize it, like, I have a friend recently who sent me a picture of, like, his Halloween costume from, I think, like, 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. And he and his buddy were Sean, (laughs) and I'm totally blanking on Sean's best friend's name right now. But his friend, 
Oh, Ed, thank you. Yeah, but his friend is wearing a Gotwood shirt, and he said he had to make the shirt because back then you couldn't just buy the Gotwood shirt from Shaun of the Dead, but now you totally can. Like, I'm sure you could go to, like, a Hot Topic or whatever and pick one up. <laughs> so, like, talking about, like, it, it, the world in which we observe, observe zombies today has changed so much in these past, like, you know, 14 years since that. I, I think the most obvious question to, to end on, of course, is is the one that's always easy. Sometimes I'm going to trip somebody up, but very simply, having watched the film again, do you still feel that Dawn of the Dead deserves, you know, the the reverence that we have towards it for putting it up on that pedestal? Or do you think now of all times, the shine is slowly coming off? I think that if you contextualize it properly, yes. I think that, again, like what we were talking, we started out this conversation with, like this, even though it's the second in the Romero zombie saga, it establishes the modern zombie unequivocally and very aggressively. And everything from that, like zombie culture flows from this film. Like Tom Savini and Greg Nicotera's like careers flow from this. And they're the ones who have also established in a modern way. Just sitting down to watch it, if you showed it to someone who has no context for that and maybe not isn't even a big zombie fan, they might think it's kind of hokey. I don't think that any of their criticisms might be unwarranted, but I do think that when you put it in the historical context of what came past it, it has a, such a great importance still. I, I, I can't argue against that. Do you have any closing thoughts that, that you haven't covered already when it comes to Dawn of the Dead? Um, I could talk about this movie for about six more days. So I think just like cutting it off there and just saying that, like, I do think it's still important and I don't think it's just a relic mm. is like my capsule on the film as a whole. That, that, that works perfect. I, I'll ask one quick question. So don't, don't go too overboard, but, but I still think it's important to ask when we look back at these movies for, for, for films that we watch like a whole bunch of times, um, it's it's easy to get sidetracked because we know all the moments that are coming, and we know every beat, and we know every like fiber placement on somebody's shirt because we, we've watched it so many times that that we live in it. Do you feel like there's anything that people overlook when it comes to to Dawn of the Dead? Um, I think. Like we were talking a little bit earlier, I think that people overlook the zombies themselves. Like I think it's really easy to get trapped into the inner workings of the humans and all of their drama. And then when they made the motorcycle guy and those guys are huge asses. So I think there's that. But I think the fact that like if you really pay close attention to the zombies and look beyond the fact that they're all dressed up like Halloween characters, like nurse zombie, Harry Krishna zombie, there is there are certain things going on in there. Like they are using tools. They might be thinking a little bit more than we give them credit for. After all the zombies here, are the ones that came to the mall, maybe they're not the nuclear scientists of the world. Like, I think that putting that as a whole is something to keep an eye out for. And, and there's my favorite zombie, which is the one who uh, can't decide which gun he really wants. So he, he, he <laughs> switches at the very end of the movie, but he, he holds that gun for months on end just inches away from his face. Oh man. I like, I have to say one of my favorites is in day of the dead. Cause they're supposed to be on this like army base Island thing in the middle of nowhere. And there's a bride. 
Like, I don't know what was, ha- why is there, and it's not even like a beach looking bride. Like it's a, I don't understand, but you know, sure. Of course she's going to show up. Why not? Maybe she's just playing dress up that day and gets bit. I don't know, but there's a story there and I want to know it. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Didi, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show today. It was great having you. Thanks, Adrian. And, uh, of course, this is the point where we like to give you a chance to tell the good people where they can find you and, and what you want to promote right now. Oh, man. Oh, we were talking about this earlier. I write everywhere. Um, so, I currently, I am writing for new releases for High Def Digest. I also write for Birth Movies Death, uh, Room Org, Magazine, and Online. Um, I'm also, as you said, the editor-at-large for Daily Grindhouse, so you can find some of my writing there. But, yeah. Yeah, I'm all around. And where can people find you on on Twitter if that's their their <laughs> thing they do? Thank you for that prompt. Yeah, so um, you can always find me. I post links to most of my articles on Twitter, and my handle is Dee Crims. That's D E D E C R I M. See, that's that's easy enough. You can find yep. me on Twitter at Yo Adrian Torres. Also, rather easy. That's why I changed it because I I wanted to stop spelling out what my old handle was to people because I felt it top it took too long, and I could kind of tell that they. You know, their eyes were glazing over and they didn't want to speak to me ever again. So changed it. Simple. And of course, this show can easily be found at at Horrorversary. And like I said, we are now part of the the Boom Howdy podcast network. So you'll see information for us popping up on there, too. Uh, Again, thank you, Didi. It it, it means a lot. I, I know this episode went a little bit long, but when you have somebody that's this passionate about not only films like this, but a genre in general, you, you want to let them talk as long as they want. Oh, that's an open invitation. You will regret one day. I know. I know. Probably, (laughs) probably by the time this episode airs. Exactly. Until then, everybody be nice to each other.